Hi, I am Jen Matthews, and I'm an adoptee. You're listening to Conversations About Adoption, a podcast where I interview and converse with other adoptees and first parents about their stories and other issues around adoption. My goal is to spread the perspectives of other adoptees and first parents so we can challenge the common narratives and misconceptions of adoption and hopefully shed light on the social justice issues pertaining to adoption, as well as the issues adoptees and first parents face on a regular basis. Conversations about adoption, and I'm going to be talking to Carrie and uh, tell us whatever you feel comfortable talking about. Uh, well, specific questions may help, but I can I can start. Um, I'm a birth mom. Well, I guess I've been told I should I should find a different name, like first mom or natural mom, because I know that's that's controversial, and I can see why it would be. But sometimes that's what I feel like is a birth mom because oh. like, I just gave birth. Yeah, I can understand that. A lot of the baby scoop era moms find that term really offensive. Um, yeah. A lot of moms do. It just depends. It seems like I've found the highest concentration of them are in the baby scoop era where they were not given a choice. They were shuffled off to unwed mother's homes and all that kind of thing. And I mean, from what you've told me, it doesn't seem like you had a whole lot of a choice either. But, you know, it's different times. So, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I had probably more of a choice than they did technically, but I just, it was, it was my own mental limitations, really. It wasn't like, no one was forcing me to do anything technically, but I did feel very unsupported by my family, so. I can understand. That's, that's got to be hard. So, how old were you when you had your baby? Uh, I think I had recently turned 29. I got pregnant when I was 28. So it's not not the typical age you expect for a birth mom, but yeah. <laughs> we're, we're all different ages, you know. <laughs> so um, yeah, so that was that was a few years ago, two years yeah. ago, a little more. Mm-hmm. Just two years. It, um, a little, just a little over two years ago, he was born. Yeah. So can you tell me about how you ended up relinquishing then? Um, well, actually, when I found out I was pregnant, like, that was, to be honest, adoption was one of my, the first thoughts on my mind, only because I just felt so, like, it was so unexpected, I didn't know how I could raise a child by myself, and then, but I, you know, I really didn't want to get an abortion, and looking back, you know, I'm not even against abortion, that was just, I think, I really, there's a part of me that's always really wanted to be a mom, even though I didn't feel it was the right time, or my mental health was not doing well at all, but so I, I, I guess that's why I, I kind of didn't take long for me to think of open adoption because I knew someone actually that a birth mom and an open adoption. And it seemed to go well enough from what she presented. Um, but she, you know, I don't know, she may have kept a lot bottled up for her. It was years ago when she was a teenager. And I didn't know the story that well. I was just looking at it from the outside. So that was, that was, I think the cultural perceptions of adoption make it seem a lot more positive than it really is in reality or yeah yeah it's true I mean it's they even they show you in movies I mean I've never gone through fertility clinics and all that kind of stuff but in tv shows and movies they always show like when the couple comes to the end of the line of like fertility treatments the doctor is always like well you could always adopt you know it makes me crazy every time I see that 
I was like, oh, why? Why do you have to? Yeah. You know, and so I wonder if there's some reality to it. I know that's TV and movies, but I wonder, you know, it's in there because somebody's probably said it somewhere, you know. And there's of course, definitely a very positive perception of adoption, like throughout pop culture. So, yeah, I was not prepared for the reality on anyone's side. Yeah, yeah, that has to be really hard. Do you deal with a lot of triggers? Like if you, like for example, when I messaged you that I was running late and then I had to get my, my son like ready for bed, like I wondered, I'm like, is that gonna trigger her? Cause I'm sensitive and aware of my triggers now. So now I try to be conscientious of other people. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's, I, it's totally fine for you to say that. I, I guess, yeah, I don't really, I don't really get jealous of other people having kids or whatever, but I, or get triggered. I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, I, when people speak about adoption, showing that they really don't know <laughs> the reality, especially from, you know, the, the sides that lose, which would be the mom and the adoptee, then, yeah. you know, that can be triggering, definitely. Sure. So can you tell me a little bit about your birth story? You kind of did and when we were chatting before, but would you be willing to talk about that? Uh, like my actual story of giving birth or the, well, the adoption story prior to it? or Yeah, did you end up going through an agency or was it a private adoption? What was the, the scenario there? Yeah, I went through an agency and I, you know, I regret that because they, they made themselves out to seem like the most ethical agency ever. They really like to stress how ethical they were and all this stuff because they were nonprofit, which doesn't really mean anything because they still need to be able to keep their customers with babies. And you know that, like, what's that? I've heard numbers like there's, there's like almost 40 couples waiting for every available newborn. Is that true? It's something like that. Like, yeah, I've, really heard, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so now looking back, I can see, yeah, they, I mean, they, they do try to, you know, they technically, they're, they, they, they made themselves seem like they were so pro-choice and in a way they were, but they didn't really give me the full information about the consequences of adoption. And they didn't give me every resource I should have known about for parenting. So I felt, you know, they definitely, it was manipulation to a certain extent, I would say, especially because they also really encouraged, they, they make it seem like it's, they tell you that you don't have to, but they, they really encourage that you sign in the hospital because it's like, that's for the baby or whatever, or it's just what everyone does. So yeah. And that's, so that's what we, them. and they, they have, they, they have you pre, yeah, they have you pre-plan this. Um, they do like an adoption planning, like at least a month before you're due to give birth, where like you're planning when you're going to sign in these things. They should not even have it be planned because you don't know how you're going to feel at the time. Like even at even then, I was really not I was really not wanting to actually emotionally. I was not wanting to go forward with the adoption. I just felt like didn't really have in my head. I was <laughs> I didn't feel like I had much other options. So that's what was planned in the meeting that I would sign in the hospital. And actually, I was not sure if I was willing to make that be part of the plan. But um, well, the the adoptive mother that was there um, had mentioned that she could stay in a hospital in the hot or in a hotel near me like for a week after to help with the transition so that was kind of what made me think you know I don't know but anyway it all happened and I wish it hadn't happened so soon <laughs> like I yeah. needed more time to, before really making a huge decision yeah I there's a lot of us that were 
you know, adoption, strong feeling that adoption needs to be reformed, the whole institution of it from the ground up, you know, where like it's, you know, it wasn't right in the 50s, but even now, you know, this is 2020 and people can do DNA. So why make a state secretive birth certificates and, you know, shut records down? And that happens in like a lot of the adoptions that happen. Um, so it definitely sounds like you went through some coercive adoption uh, practices there. Did they have like the brochures when you, when you found them, did you find them like in the newspaper or online or the phone book? Not that anybody online uses. and yeah, and actually um, when the, the first time I went in, it was, it was with my dad because um, he, you know, my parents were so freaked out about my pregnancy. They, the only option they could, they wanted was for me to get an abortion, which is, you know, I should not have even listened to anything that they said because, you know, I'm an adult and it doesn't matter, but I was overwhelmed and like, didn't feel like I had their support at all. So at that point I was just trying to convince him that adoption would be good too. So he went into the first meeting with me, but that was a mistake to get my family involved. And then actually I've had them even, I had them meet the uh, prospective adoptive parents before he was even born. And so then at that point, when I wanted to change my mind and keep him later on in the pregnancy, they were really not in, they weren't willing to because they thought that adoption was actually going to work out so yeah. yeah that's a really it's really a shame it's really not right that they do that it's predatory because yeah. you know they should give you i really feel that they should give the moms at least a couple days like to spend time and really think and i mean at least i mean that's like really being tight i think it should be well like i actually did weeks. have like yeah, I did have like two days when we were in the hospital together where he was he was with me, you know, at least half the time, if not more. He was with the the, the prospective adoptive parent. Well, the, his parents now were were in the hospital too, which I wish that hadn't been the case because that definitely put some pressure on me. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So he spent a little time with them, but more with me, and then, but it wasn't the same as if I had ever gotten to take him home and test that out. It didn't, you know. So it wasn't like. Yeah. Right. They never tell you that, oh, you can make this decision at any time. It's like, you've got to do this now, 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 you know. Yeah, that's really, the fact that they were in the hospital room, that there was pre-birth matching, like all of that just really lays out to me how corrupt the adoption yeah, is. Yeah, it shouldn't be legal, especially to sign anything final, especially because there's no revo revocation on TPR in my state. But in, while you're in the hospital, I just don't see how that should be legal. How could how could that be legal anywhere, you know? Right, but it goes <laughs> on in a lot of places. It really does. Yeah. Um, so you did get to spend a couple of days with him. That's That had to be amazing. And that also had to make it maybe a little harder too, huh? Yeah, uh, it it was just, I don't know, I was kind of in a weird state that whole time, partially because I was so sleep deprived, because I'd been, I'd had a very long labor, like almost two days, and then I yeah. still didn't really sleep in the hospital, so I was just almost, it's almost a little bit of a daze at this point, but it was, I, I'm glad that I did do it, I just wish I'd had more time to really, and more support to really test out motherhood before making some that decision. I, this is kind of a crazy story, um, just to show like another example of how predatory it is. This is actually a friend of mine. She told me this story that when she was in her 20s, um, she was pregnant and not married. And uh, this wasn't that long ago. It would have been like in the 
late 80s, early 90s, something like that. Um, so she went into labor, went into the hospital, had her baby, was all messed up on Dilaudid after having the baby and stuff like that. And like the nurses come in and some social worker with paperwork and they were trying to get her to sign these papers. And she's like, what is this? And they're like, oh, well, your baby is just perfect. And there's a doctor and his wife in this hospital and they can't have kids. And like, they were literally, while she was all doped up on these heavy drugs, trying to get her to sign adoption papers. Has like, she ever mentioned wanting to do adoption before? No, nope, wow. they just assumed because she wasn't married, you know? <laughs> wow, and when was this? I think it was in, she I think she said it was in the late 80s, early 90s, something like that. Yeah. She's a little bit older than me, so probably about that. But she, you know, like, it's just crazy to me. I'm like, that infuriates me. You know, this is literally taking advantage of a young woman, you know, and it's like, did you know in several states that an adoption, well, actually relinquishment papers are one of the only legal papers that a minor can sign without parental consent. Wow. Did you know that? I mean, especially because that is, the, you know, like, yeah, I feel like in a way the rest of the biological family should be honored to an extent. I don't know if, you know, because what if the, what if the parents had, you know, wanted to keep them in the family? Sure. I don't know. <laughs> but like, I think I looked into it recently. It was like something like 14 states. It's like where... A, a minor can sign relinquishment papers and it's kind of frightening in a way you know yeah like i know in my state i'm pretty sure the the biological father doesn't need to give any type of permission for adoption to occur but um yeah mine i did i did mine was in the uh my father's biological child was in the loop about all that but I, I do have like some guilt because i feel like he didn't actually want the adoption at first and you know he did he did go along with me, but it was just, you know, looking back, I don't think it was right for either of us, but we just, we just met when this all happened. So it was all just a chaotic situation. Very quick. Yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes it's that way. And, you know, it's just, it's unfortunate that you kind of got caught in the crosshairs there with that, with an agency that's corrupt. There are, I mean, I don't know if there are any good ones out there. I really don't. I would like to think that hopefully there are some that are ethical, but it's kind of scary. Like if you walk into a place and they're like, look how ethical we are. Then it's like, yeah. hmm. It's you know, different. honestly, I think domestic, I don't know if it's possible for domestic infant adoption to be 100% ethical unless they, you know, I mean, if they're, if they're trying to get a newborn adopted out right away, which is the goal of these agencies, or people that want newborns and there's just no ethical way to do that i mean there's some that mm -hmm. are better than others i guess like i don't think mine actually i think mine actually was better than some that i hear about but they still at the end of the day make it the norm they make it seem like it's the norm to just sign in the hospital and that was my biggest beef and to plan like the adoption and when you're going to sign and stuff beforehand i think that's that's a bad idea it doesn't serve anyone but them really to me yes to make the exactly did they threaten you with anything pre like did, did they get the feel that you were having second thoughts and threaten you in any way no they were actually understanding about that in fact i even told them when i was having second thoughts and they even gave me some resources but it wasn't like it wasn't everything i needed to know about because they you know they do talk about being pro-choice and i think that they are it's just but they also have a skewed 
they have a skewed frame of reference, I guess, just from being working in that industry, probably. They, it's, yeah, I don't know. Right. Somebody, they got to get a paycheck somehow, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or they just want to believe that they're doing something good, so they probably psychologically convince themselves of that. Right. Or, or they have, like they say, they have swallowed the Kool-Aid and yeah. they believe what is portrayed in the media, that it's just wonderful. You know, they share these stories of like little foster kids that invite their whole kindergarten class to their court hearing for adoption and like all these like lovely stories. And then you hear like the opposite stories where the kids were tortured and terrible stuff happened to them, you know, like that's just, but there's like not, you know, like, yes, those are two kind of realities, but then there's like everybody else in the middle of the ground that is like, we're here, you know, but people don't really want to hear what adoptees have to say a lot of time. You know, they're told to just shut up and be grateful that they were adopted, you know, like, because there's all these orphans everywhere piling up that need to Yeah, talk. it makes me sad to think about. I, 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 you know, really was not, the one thing they didn't tell me anything about was adoption trauma to the adoptee, or to myself, really. That's, they just kind of glossed over all that, because, so even though they did try to be, tell you that you technically had all these, you know, you had the choices of parenting, adoption, or even abortion, they didn't, like, they didn't really educate you on each one or anything like that. It was just not in a fair way, so. Right. And, you know, it's, I don't think anyone should ever rely on an adoption agency for choice counseling to, like, figure out what their choice is, because that's what I did, but I should have seen a, a non-affiliated counselor for sure. Well, you said you were going through some mental health struggles. Yeah, I still am. I mean, it's kind of been a lifelong issue, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm someone that would have probably needed, I felt definitely at the time, like, I needed a lot more support. And I felt like I was getting, and well, I think every mom needs support for that matter. Sure. Yeah, but. definitely. I mean, this, I mean, definitely. It's really criminal when you think about the fact that, like, what agencies charge. And a lot of times, if the mom was given, like, you know, even $10,000, they'll be like, I'm good now, you know? Like, I can handle any emergency that comes up, I can pay the rent for a while, I can buy the baby stuff, and they feel like okay and safe, you know, and I mean $10,000, that's a lot of money. But I mean, if I had gotten, I, I even actually, the only time I ever tried to, I ever bought a lottery ticket was when I was pregnant, because that was how desperate I felt, I was like, I would love it if I just suddenly won, like, a bunch of money. See, that's, yeah. that's, um, have you heard of Saving Our Sisters? adoption yeah i didn't until after i gave birth and then i was like kicking myself for not knowing i i wish i had gone online and found you know adoption groups from a more from a perspective of the adoptees and the birth parents and that would have hooked me up to things like that but i never did that unfortunately yeah, yeah. they um she's she has said that um i believe i've had conversations with lynn and she said even like eight hundred dollars is enough oh, yeah. for some moms to feel like okay i can do this you know yeah i mean certainly finances weren't my only issue but that was that was it got to the point where i wanted you know i wanted my baby so bad that definitely if i had if i had finances that would have been all i needed especially because if i had enough i could have had i could have bought help so to speak if i was yeah you're like i can deal yeah Yeah. (laughs) i know what you mean yeah so you said you have an open adoption yeah it's been hard though honestly it feels like 
for me, it's a trigger every time I see him, definitely. So it's, it almost, you know, I kind of pulled back for a while there. I think they'd probably actually like me to see him more than I, than I kind of want to, because they're, they're good people. They just, you know, they, they kind of got swept up in the whole adoption thing too, so quickly that they, I don't think they really took the time to fully educate themselves from all perspectives, but neither did I, obviously. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of hard for all, I think it's hard for all of us now to be in this lifelong situation that there's just so happened so quickly. Yeah, I, I can imagine it would be really difficult. And at this age of that he's at, you know, where he's only two, you said? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's good that you're around, you know. Just and... a little bit, you know, it's been, it's been like, it's, it's slowed down to like even less than, I think it was even more than six months between the last two visits, but it's, it's a little, it's occasional, you know. Well, try not to, I mean, I know it's hard, but try not to disappear from his life, you know. Yeah. Always be accessible and be honest with him is like the best advice I can give you because it'll be important to him one day. As long as his adoptive parents are good people and they try to understand the trauma thing and are there to help him through that, I think, you know, he's always going to have, like, you know, his mom too, you know? And, um, yeah, I don't know if you know any of my story, but I I was born in 71. I was a end-of-the-line end baby scoop era adoption. My mom was a teenager, and um, my grandmother was the one who made the choice to, she didn't want to raise any more kids, she said. And um, I didn't find till I was almost 30. I really wasn't ready, because for me, it was different. Like, I was told when I was like five or six, and they say if you don't find out till you're that age, that that's considered a late-term, late-discovery adoptee. And now I didn't take it well when I found out. And, um, I was, I was pretty upset, but that's because I was a child and my mind can understand like, well, your mom, my mom was like, well, your mom had to finish high school is what she told me, you know, and my brain didn't, didn't get that. So I, I had a lot of, I was an, I was an angry kid as an adoptee. I mean, I was for a long time because I just didn't understand. But then once yeah. like, I finally found when I was 30, um, my mother was deceased. So I got to meet my grandmother, my grandfather, my uncle, and my brother. And then um, just in the last uh, last couple years, I confirmed my dad with DNA. And I have a half-sister on his side. So That's nice. Yeah, it's interesting. We're just still very, we're taking things extremely slow. I just spent last Saturday with my sister, and it was really cool. So... Yeah. I, yeah, I worry, I worry that my son will have some of the angry feelings and stuff that you mentioned having. And I, and sometimes I wonder if it would be more of a trigger if he actually sees me every once in a while, but doesn't understand, because he's not going to be able to understand for so many years, any of the, right. why the adoption had to happen, you know, because he's just a kid. Right? Sure. Yeah. But I think you being around and being a part of his story you know, from the beginning, like, he always knows that you're there, and that where he came from is you, he's not going to have that anger, you know, I was, like, completely separated from my mom and everything, you know, and I think that's why I had it. 
I don't know. It would be interesting to find some present day open adoptees, you know, adoptees that were from open adoptions. And well, my agency has some, but they only pick the ones that we're going to talk good about it. So. Of course. Yes, yeah. of course. That's like <laughs> propaganda. Yeah. yeah. But it would be, that would be really interesting. I can ask in the group and see if there are any adoptees that were from open adoptions. They would probably have to be younger because I don't think they really started doing that a whole lot until the 80s. 80s and 90s i never really heard about it i did have a few friends that were adopted and they were like me they knew nothing you know like all i knew that concept was just didn't exist before i guess (laughs) seemed easier to just completely sever the family i guess i think they also started to realize that the complete separation made it more difficult for um everybody concerned And also another possibility, here's a conspiracy theory, that they started doing open adoptions to convince more birth mothers to relinquish. You know what I mean? More first, more women. Oh my gosh, I've absolutely thought that because I wouldn't, I would have, I would have never gone down that whole path probably if if I didn't know I had the option of open adoption. To be honest, you know, I don't know what I would have done, but I don't think I could have, would have ever done adoption if I knew I could never see him again. So that's, that was very much coercive for me, honestly. But it's, you know, in the reality, I still don't get to feel like a mom at all. I don't feel like his mom. It's very awkward being around him, not knowing what my role even is. So it's it's not like it saves you from the trauma just because it's right. an option. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it doesn't. There's no, yeah. there's no comparison. Because you, I mean, I can't even imagine myself. But there's no mm-hmm. comparison to it. Um, I'm just trying to think of what else. Uh, I can't think of anything else right now. I'm drawing a blank. Is there anything else that you have? Or anything else, part of your story that you want to talk about? Um, huh. Not really thinking of anything at the moment. No. Just, just you know, it's I've I've been wanting to talk about it mainly just to so people can know that it's it's a lot more of an intense thing than you know than just the mainstream may make it sound and to and to like hopefully I would you know I'd love the opportunity to if this like this or anything else I could do could reach expectant moms because you know I I needed someone during my pregnancy to be like look this is such a lifelong incredibly huge choice, you know, don't rush into it and really be sure, because I was so unsure when I signed the papers, like, you know, that's, that was really, and and the counselor that I'd seen prior to that, too, that I'm from the agency that I'd been seeing throughout my pregnancy that, that gave, served me the papers in the hospital, like, she knew I was unsure, she had to, because I even said it straight out, I'm like, I, I just, you know, but, you know, I, it was, and, and I, and I remember I had a question, I was like, well, what if I decided to wait on, hold off on citing for now? I'm worried that, you know, the prospective adoptive parents would back out if, and she's, she's, she just kind of validated my fear rather than ha- like, I, now I look back and I'm like, they were actually on the other side of the wall in the hospital. Why didn't she just have us talk? If she was like the counselor, she should have facilitated a talk about that. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's just, I feel like that's very coercive too, that it was in a 
a counselor from who worked for the agency. So you're yeah. seeing her regularly. There's you're building a rapport, and then she's the one that brings the paper. So you're already kind of comfortable with her because you've been seeing her for a while. And I'm sure, like that. I mean, that also seems kind of coercive to me. I think it. Yeah, be, and, uh, and the parents being on the other side. Of the wall, that is so much. That is so much on someone who's facing this huge choice. Yeah, like, I really didn't want to make that choice at that point, but I didn't have anything prepared to take him home, and she told me, like, she's like, you don't, she said, you don't have to sign the papers, but you do if you want your baby to leave with anyone but you, which I don't even know if that's true, it could have been a lie, but, so, and I was like, well, I don't, you know, I'm not prepared to take him home, and they're, they're, they're prepared to take him home very much, so I just felt like I, I kind of had to. My heart breaks for you. I really feel yeah. like you were in a in a bad circumstance there where it was basically like they were stacking the deck against you. If you're even teetering on that decision and you'd go talk to an agency, they're going to stack the deck against you and make it feel like it's no choice but that, right? Yeah. It's really what it seemed well, like. I mean, I did get myself into it by by feeling so early on that adoption might be a, a good, you know, a good enough option. That was, you know, that was kind of, it's, it's a, it's complex though, because I, I always wanted kids when I was young and then I spent years thinking that maybe I'd never have them after all because of my mental health. And my parents put that guilt on me too. Like I was not fit to have kids. So it, yeah. <laughs> you gotta love the lack of parental support. Yeah. That's, it's, that's really gotta be hard. I mean, you must have felt so isolated and, you know, stuck. I mean, really. Yeah, I did. And looking back, like, the, I just should have gone about everything differently. And maybe I could have, maybe I could have gotten some people on my side more. But I guess I shouldn't beat myself up about it because it's, you know, it's not like I, it's not like I was ready for this all to just happen at once. So. Sure. Um so are you in a lot of different Facebook groups or, because I know you're in mine. Yeah, I'm in a few. And what, what do you think of them? Have you run into any, like, people that were nasty towards you because you're um, a first mom? Because I know there are some adoptees out there that just, <laughs> they're really not nice when it comes to first moms. They have a lot yeah, of Yeah, I and mean, I guess I'm, technically there's been some people that weren't, they weren't, it didn't seem like they were trying very hard to understand the first mom's perspective because I'm sure it's their own anger, you know, I understand mm -hmm. that. Like, it's very, when you've been wrong that greatly, yeah, like it, it you know, it's going to make you judge other situations, but I haven't been too badly, like, I'm, I, I wouldn't say that I've been, like, harassed or anything, just, just people that are kind of stuck in their views of whatever things are. That's good. Do you think any of the groups have helped at all? Um, it's hard to know if they've helped me emotionally, but I still feel good about being in them just because it's partly because I want to, you know, I like the idea that, that the, that adoption is not all just wonderful, that that idea is starting to be talked about more and hopefully, hopefully groups like that, like help spread the momentum somehow. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot, like, um, there's a lot of really good podcasts out there. I, I 
when I decided to start conversations about adoption, I've, I've had so many bumps in the road and things going on. So I haven't really kept at it at all, but I originally had the idea to do a podcast because I had been listening to podcasts and I thought, I wonder if there's any good adoption podcasts. And I went and looked and they were all like from the adoptive parents perspective. It was like how to adopt, you know, and ways to raise money to adopt and how to raise an adopted child. And I was like, eh, you know, and since then there's been so many new podcasts by adoptees. It's really cool. And I'm sure there's okay. some mom ones out there too. Probably. It's, it's just so strange that to the, when you think about it, to the mainstream that there's, there's a lot of like, you know, civil rights issues that are, that are concerned in the mainstream, but adoption is like never even talked about. People don't realize that that's, an issue, but I can't even imagine being an adoptee too, like, you know, feeling like, you know, you're just whisked away at birth. You, it was not, it's not your choice whatsoever. Like that would definitely, it's, it's just a weird system that we make those permanent separations at birth like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I call it a crapshoot because literally because of the fact that there are so many adoptive parents waiting for any newborn infant that comes up for grabs, you know, a lot of us were told that you were special and chosen. It's like, no, I was the next one, you know? Yeah. And like, you, you know that. I was just the next one, you know? And that's just how that ended up happening, you know? And it's, it's, and the other thing that bothered me about that special and chosen thing is my adoptive parents had a daughter of their own, you know, a biological daughter that they had had. She was nine years older. And I'm like, well, if I'm special and lucky and chosen, like, what is she? You know, like, you just stuck with her? You know, like, kind of, it was, it was, you saw right through the bullshit in that one, you know? So. Yeah, did you ever feel like she was given better, you know, more love or anything than you, or? There was definitely more of a connection with her and my mom. My mom and I butted heads all the time. But yeah. um, I was a daddy's girl all the way. <laughs> I got, I got along really good with my dad, my mom and I butted heads, and uh, she, I mean, her being nine years older, I mean, I may as well have been an only child, because it was one of those situations where when she was a teenager, she had to drive, you know, she wanted to borrow the car, she had to drag the pesky six-year-old along or whatever, <laughs> nobody wants to do that when you're a teenager, you know, and um, I, don't, I don't know, and now she lives several states away, and we don't really talk very much at all, so that's a whole other can of worms but I you yeah. know at times I feel like I don't really I feel very isolated myself in a way because my mom's family was my adoptive mom's family was Mexican and like her entire family is down there so I don't have any of my cousins here near me in the states both my adoptive parents are deceased because they were older and um like, I have no family, you know, except... You know, I can really relate in a way, even though technically my parents are in my life. They even, I even sometimes feel like they try to control it in some ways, but they're, it's very not a healthy relationship, not supportive. It's, and that's really all that I have. I have my sister, but I don't have, like, I don't have any extended family relationships for the most part. My family's never just been a close, cohesive family, it seems like. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how this adoption, that's part of how this adoption story happened is, like, my family just apparently wasn't primed to stick together as much as some families is what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it's that false narrative of adoption. People buy it hook, line, and sinker and think, well, it just solves all the problems and it just, nobody's thinking about the feelings of the mother and the child in that particular situation. They're just like, okay, let's just, you know, and it's, it's kind of, I don't know, I guess we can blame our society for it. Um, if you've ever heard of Georgia Tan, have you heard of her? Yeah, I think I have. Yeah, she was like the kind of the start of the modern adoption agency. Or yeah, the industry, or? yeah, I call her the mother of modern adoption. Um, there's a really good criminal episode, Criminals of Podcasts. I don't know if you listen to them at all, but there's one, they're only a half hour, I think. And they did one on Georgia Tan, and it's called The Baby Thief. And it's really, really, really well done. And it gives you like, a condensed version of all the info in a short amount of time. I highly recommend it. So. Okay. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's about it. Do you, um, have any, uh, anything else you wanted to say? Uh, let's just keep fighting to spread the truth about adoption and to support moms, I guess. And yes. Yeah. Adoption reform. <laughs> that would be great if there could be more of a village for moms rather than like that's that's with open adoption they say it's kind of like a village but not at all it really you know they they technically the mom may be included a little bit but it's like let's take the mom let's take the baby completely from mom and just make her you know like some honorary <laughs> figure maybe we should build the villages around the mom instead that's right yeah that's what saving our sisters is trying to do and so, yeah, I am a sister on the ground. I have the literature and I've posted it around different places. It's not a very you big know, city. I signed up for that, I think, but I don't think I ever got like any, was I supposed to get anything in the mail or? I don't know. I would email them again and see. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, the, and it might be complicated for me to, to be a sister on the ground because I don't have a car. I don't have, I mean, I have like public transportation, but I don't know. How it works you know so well if anyone in my area would even need me so you never know there might be some way that you could help your experience or anything like that would be most valuable i think so okay well i really appreciate your honesty and thank you for being willing to share your story yeah you too so good to talk um, i'm gonna pause this here Well, that was Carrie. Um, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> that was Carrie. She's the first mom and I really appreciate her bravery for telling her story because I know it can't be easy to have to have the knowledge that she went through what she went through, the experience of it, the trauma of it. It's really important that the world finds out how coercive adoption agencies can be. This behavior of pre-matching, having their own therapist that sees the girls or women, um, having the parents, they are not even parents, the adopters at the hospital in the next room this is all coercive behavior, having them sign the papers while they're still in the hospital in a no revocation state, not giving access to all of the resources possible. 
yes, I understand anybody can go look on the internet and find resources, but sometimes you don't find everything. It's important to not judge. You never know, you know, what somebody else's experience is. And I'm sure it's very difficult for a young first mom to come out and tell her story when she has never told her story before. I feel very honored that Carrie trusted me with it. And I hope that um, you can appreciate her story and show some sympathy. And um, let's help support the moms that are feeling vulnerable and stuck instead of taking the babies away and having them raised by other people. So anyway, again, I'm Jen Matthews, and this is Conversations About Adoption. I have a Facebook page, Twitter account, Instagram, and I just started TikTok where I'm gonna be telling a little bit of my story at a time. And uh, I bid you a good day, evening, or night, whatever time of day it is that you're watching this.